So I don't know if you know this, hopefully you do know this, but everyone, everyone is made in God's image, men and women, boys and girls, Republicans and Democrats, gay and straight, even people with Down syndrome, everybody is made in God's image. And so we all reflect God in that very special way that nothing else in creation does. And yet, and yet, isn't it amazing how many different personalities there are? If you're a parent and you have two or three or five or 10 children, right? You can have identical twins and the identical twins' personalities are different because we're all different. So one aspect of personality, uh, I can talk about him because he's in Africa right now, James Ballard. James Ballard poops positivity. It, James Ballard, and you could, and I did that reference on purpose. Those of you that know James, tell him that's what I said, okay? So James Ballard poops positivity. And so it can be raining outside. Hey, Max, it's raining. Isn't that great? I get to cool off. It's 98 degrees and sunny. Hey, Max, it's sunny. It's great outside. So he's just, no matter what, this is great. This is awesome. You're awesome. And he's just that way. And then there are people like your poor pastor, the Debbie Downers. The Debbie Downers can suck the joy out of anything. Trust me. Like if I'm going to Disney World, this is how I talk about it. Yeah, it's going to be great. 98 degrees, a thousand percent humidity. Me and about a million of my closest friends all huddled together waiting in line forever. It's going to be great. Great. Okay. And so the thing about Debbie Downers is when we leave a party, that's when the joy factor usually goes up. Everybody's like, "Woo, we can party now. The Debbie Downer is gone. So Debbie Downers like me never have as a life verse this one right here. Now, wait a minute. It's not, let me make sure I can work here. We never have, there we go. We never have this as a life verse. Philippians 4, 4, you will never see a Debbie Downer have this embroidered on their Bible as a bumper sticker on their car. It's not gonna be on their refrigerator or above their computer. Always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. Okay, do you know what our Bible verse is? Judges 4.21, but when Sisera fell asleep from exhaustion, Jael quietly crept up to him with a hammer and tent peg in her hand. She drove the tent peg through his temple and into the ground, so he died. That's the life verse of Debbie Downers right there. We can get religion on that one, yeah. Death is coming. It's coming for us all. It's coming for you. <laughs> okay. So here's the thing. Here's the thing. Um, whether you're a James Ballard or a Max Vanderpool, every single day you have a choice and you can decide, you can make a decision and you can decide to cultivate joy. And this is a growth area for me and something I've been working on. So, um, so that's, that's where we're going today. And I, I want to kind of help you uh, take some steps so that you can cultivate joy in your life. Now, I have to talk about what I talked about a few weeks ago when I talked about depression. Namely, I have to draw the difference between joy and happiness because in America, we get them confused sometimes. Joy, joy is like a fine wine. It can be fruity yet nutty. 
It, it, has all, it can have lots of different flavors to it. Uh, so joy is something that you, it's a decision that you make. Uh, it has room for other emotions. Joy, you can also be joyful and angry. You can be joyful and a little ashamed. You can be joyful and madder than a hornet. Like it is complex in that way. Happiness, on the other hand, happiness is not like that at all. Happiness just kind of happens to you. And you can't, and no matter how hard you try to make yourself happy, young people, you cannot make yourself happy. Go ahead, I dare you, I challenge you, pick one of the toddlers out of the nursery, take them on a day when they haven't had their nap and they haven't had a snack, and you just tell them, you say, Elena, Georgia, you're gonna be happy right now. <laughs> it, it does not happen. No one can make themselves happy. It just doesn't happen, okay? And so that's the difference between joy and happiness. And here's where we're going today. Joy is a decision you make each and every day. And we see this very clearly in the life of Jesus, and we see this in the lives of his friends and followers, especially in the book of Acts. And we're going to be in Acts chapter 5. So I'm going to start off with the last verses of what happens in chapter 5, and then we're going to go backwards. So it's kind of like a back to the future sermon. Okay, so Acts chapter 5, verses 40 and following. You find this in my Bible. The others accepted his advice. They called in the apostles and had them flogged. Then they ordered them never to speak again in the name of Jesus, and they let them go. The apostles left the high council rejoicing rejoicing that God had counted them worthy to suffer disgrace for the name of Jesus. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they continued to teach and preach the message, Jesus is the Messiah. So Peter and the apostles had just been flogged. Now, if you're familiar with this, the, the prescription for flogging is in Deuteronomy 25. Never give more than 40 lashes. More than 40 lashes would publicly humiliate your neighbor. I'm going to tell you 30 lashes hurts. Okay, what they would do is they would take a leather, uh, a leather strap uh, that would be made of cowhide, and it would have three little lashes to it. So you didn't beat somebody 39 times. You only beat them 13 times because each little strand counted as a whip, okay? So you had about 13 strokes, and they would do it on the chest, and they would do it on the back. And if you got a flogger who really loved his job and was a little bit into it, it could rip your skin open to the point where you could bleed to death, okay? And so it hurt, okay? So Peter and the apostles have just been what? flogged. They're smarting. They hurt. They're probably bleeding. And yet, and yet, they're also rejoicing? What? Yes. So there's that complex thing. Peter later puts it this way in one of his letters in the New Testament. He says, instead, be very glad for these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering so that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it's revealed to all the world. So even though they had just been flogged, even though they had been a little bit probably humiliated, even though they probably had a wide range of emotions going on, they were rejoicing. They were rejoicing. They were experiencing a modicum of joy. So joy and pain 
are not mutually exclusive. That's the first thing I want you to know. Joy and pain are not mutually exclusive. So, So what did Peter and the apostles do to warrant such a punishment? Well, they had been healing people in and around the temple complex. And, they he- and so many people were healed that family members were bringing their sick relatives and friends and lying them at the edge of the street in hopes that as Peter walked by, his shadow would fall on them in hopes that even just the shadow of Peter, the follower of Jesus, that person would be like, woo, glory, I'm healed, right? I mean, and so that, miraculous nature and excitement and everything else that was going on made the priests and the Sadducees in the temple a little bit mad, a little bit envious, a little bit jealous, a little bit frustrated. So they did what they can do. They had Peter and the apostles arrested. Oh yeah, throw your butts in jail. And while Peter and the apostles were in jail, an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And this is amazing to me, and I I learned something new from N.T. Wright. So the angel says to them, uh, go to the temple and give the people this message of life. And literally, uh, I believe it's speak the word of this life. Speak the word of this life. So I don't know if you know this, but the earliest Christians weren't called Christians yet. That didn't happen until Antioch, until later on. Sometimes they were referred to as the Nazarenes. Sometimes they were referred to as the followers of the way. And here you have an angel of the Lord who clearly doesn't yet quite know what to call him either, right? Go speak the word of what? This life, this life. Christianity and following Jesus has two parts to it. There's the speaking part where we speak the gospel and teach the gospel and proclaim the gospel. And then there's the living part of it. And speaking and living are always combined. That's an aside, it's free. But like you can't, so for the young people who are like, well, I'm just gonna love people and I'm gonna live my life and that's enough. No, not quite. Because you also have to speak the gospel and talk about Jesus. And for those who are like, well, I'm just gonna tell them the gospel and then be a total hypocrite and never do have any fruit of the spirit in my life. No, that's not gonna work either. <laughs> it's both speaking and living and they're connected. And we see this that comes out of the tongue of this angel. So, So Peter and the apostles are freed, right? And so the next morning, the next morning, uh, they're teaching in the temple. The Sadducees and and, uh, the Sadducees and the priests send for their prisoners. Only the prisoners aren't there, and they hear word that these guys are teaching in the temple. And furthermore, the jail is completely locked up. All the guards are in place, and no one left. It's a miracle what are you going to do? What are you going to do? So the Peter and the apostles are teaching. They've been freed. So if you're Peter, you're probably thinking, woohoo, this is one of those great stories. I'm freed. God's done something miraculous. Surprise. They come and they arrest you again. So now you're brought before the uh, the Sadducees and the priests and you've got it and there's this back and forth and the priests tell them, didn't we tell you never to teach in this man's name? And Peter, of course, being the diplomat, says, well, look, the man you killed is the way of repentance in life. Didn't win him over exactly. And when Peter was done, the Bible tells us that basically the priests and the Sadducees were like, kill him. And that's when this guy Gamaliel speaks up. And I maybe, how would you pronounce his name? 
All right, Gamaliel. I don't know how to say it right, but Gamaliel, Gamaliel, ooh, Gim, Gimli. That's, that's Lord of the Rings. Okay, so Gamaliel is uh, this, Gamaliel the Elder is a uh, teacher and he's part of this group. And he basically, um, he basically says, look, maybe these guys are nothing and nothing's going on and nothing will come of it, but maybe, maybe God's at work. And today, today we can't really tell. Come on, you can't really tell? No. And, and, so, and so he urges caution. And he's from this school of thought that is kind of the live and let live school of thought. Now, here's the irony. Do you know who one of his most famous students is? Saul of Tarsus, the guy who's live and let live. His student becomes, no one killed the Christians more than me. That's ironic, I think. And so Gamaliel uh, has this thing. And so he, this word, prosecho, you, sh- you should put this on the back of your car, prosecho. That's a word for our time right there. You know what it means? Think before you act on your emotions. Come on, could we not use some of that in America 2.0? Think before you post some things on social media. <laughs> Think before you act on your emotions. Prosecco. So that's what he's telling the priests and the Sadducees. Think you're all mad and you want to have these guys killed right now. Think, stop. Think about what you're doing. Think parents are like that's me every day okay so right and so the question is is it God or is it not and this is what he says so my advice is leave these men alone let them go if they're planning and doing these things merely on their own it'll be overthrown but if it's from God you won't be able to overthrow them you may even find yourselves fighting against God and they didn't want to do that and he didn't want to do that it could be God it could be nothing and you can't tell which it is today and I'm going to suggest to you there are going to be moments in your life And you're going to hit these things where you're like, is this God at work? What is this? And you're not going to necessarily know in that day. You'll know later on with hindsight, but okay. So uh, maybe that's why James says this in Acts 4. He says, dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. These guys, Peter and the apostles, rejoiced because they were worthy to be considered to suffer for the name of Jesus. So let me ask a couple of questions, and I really want to unpack how we can decide to cultivate joy. And the first question is simply this. Um, Are you letting circumstances or the Satan rob you of your joy? Are you letting, that's been me, different days. If it's sunny, if it's cloudy, if it's this, if it's that, circumstances are like, you know, the Debbie Downers were all about the circumstances. It's going to be terrible. That's Eeyore, but it's the same personality type, okay? So are you letting circumstances or the Satan rob you of your joy? Are you living a joyless life? And then secondly, what can we learn from the apostle's example about coping with criticism and about unfair treatment? What can we learn from them? about what it means to be criticized and treated unfairly. So how do we take this home, right? First and foremost, you gotta keep your gaze on Jesus. You gotta be fixed on Jesus. You have to be focused on Jesus and not the circumstances that you're facing. 
Um, Our joy is rooted in our future life with God. God is near. God is with us. God is for us. It's like the Gunger song. This is not the end. It's not the end. Okay? Um, So where's your focus? Where's your focus? I've always heard this in movies. I didn't know where it came from. If you're a pilot and you're flying your Airbus A320 and traffic control comes on and they say, United 232 Heavy, you have traffic at 11 o'clock. If you look at 11 o'clock and you don't see anything, do you know what you say to the tower? I have no joy. I have no joy. If you're a fire pilot, God forbid, and you're having to lock onto a target, and for whatever reason, the guidance system and all these things, and you can't lock onto the target so that you can fire, do you know what you tell the AWACS plane? I have no joy. I think we could learn something from our pilot and military friends. When we can't see the target, we got no joy. When your eyes aren't fixed on Jesus, it's going to be rough to have joy. The second thing is to practice gratitude. And, and I'm going to be real specific about practicing gratitude. I'm not talking about an attitude of gratitude. Sometimes preachers will talk about that. Look, I can have an attitude of health and fitness, but if I'm eating donuts at every chamber event, it does not matter about my attitude of health and, you know, fitness. It doesn't matter about my attitude. It's what I'm doing, okay? And so, so here's what I mean about practicing gratitude. Um, some of us would benefit from a daily journal of gratitude. And I'm not talking about your phone or your computer screen. I want you to physically on paper write down. I, I've been doing a journal for the last two years of my life. And every day, the first question is the same thing. What are you grateful for right now? When I first started doing that, I would stare at those 10 or 13 lines and go, mm, I'm alive. <laughs> a point, got a point there. I'm alive. Woo. <laughs> okay, so now it's coming a little bit more quickly. And, and here's the thing. We know from science that uh, there's a profound connection between writing something down. Okay, God made you a physical embodied creature. You're not something bouncing around the internet, a spirit without a body. And so uh, I know this as someone who teaches at the college level. At the first day of class, I'll tell my students, look around, look around. Here's the deal. Those of you that have your pen and paper out, you are going to earn one to two letter grades higher than all of your friends whose laptops are open. And usually at that point, two or three of them close. (laughs) And they put them away. Okay, there's something profound about physically writing it down on a piece of paper. So maybe one thing you could do is start a daily gratitude journal. What are you thankful for right now? Uh, Daily prayers or daily meditations. You know, the two easiest prayers are help me Jesus and thank you Jesus. I can't tell you how many times I've been spared a major accident on 27 and the first thing out of my mouth is guess what? Thank you Jesus, thank you Jesus. Okay, thank you Jesus, okay? Um, And you can find some good stuff in the examine along those lines. Um, In the morning or in the evening, uh, or at some point along the way, maybe at lunch break, you you can physically say out loud with your mouth, I am grateful for. Brene Brown, Brene Brown, when their family gets together for dinner, she makes it a requirement that the whole family has to do something to say what they're grateful for at the family dinner table. 
um, she says that one of the things that happens is you actually get to know what's going on in your kids' lives so much more because when somebody tells you what they're grateful for, you get a window into what what's going on in their heart and life. And she says it's been a great experiment for their family, right? So uh, I am grateful for, boom. And then you can create art or expressions or some visual reminders that are kind of habit flags for you. Um, David Stindle Rass says it this way, it is not joy that makes us grateful, it's gratitude that makes us joyful. Let me say that again. It is not joy that makes us grateful, it is gratitude that makes us joyful. And the last thing is, you need to know, the feelings of joy, the experience of joy, it's going to ebb and flow, just like feelings in general. But joy has this, right? So Dave Stone, who's a pastor at Southeast Christian Church in Louisville, he's a runner. I don't know what this is like to be a runner. I just don't do that anymore. But he says, at the beginning of a marathon, at the beginning of the marathon, there's lots of joy. All the way at the end of the day, at the end of the marathon, as they're going through the thing, again, joy. He says, the middle, not so much. Not so much. Not joy at all. It's raining. The sun is out. Ah! <laughs> okay, not a lot of joy. I think he's on to something. I, I'm a parent. So when you first get that baby, oh, there's a baby. There's like this joy. You can't help it. This joy that comes out of you until they poop all over you for the first time. Until they look at you and say, you don't understand me and slam the door in your face. But then they get married or they have kids of their own and they're grown. And then again, all of a sudden, there's this joy thing again. See, at the beginning and at the end and in the middle, it's hard, okay? So I'm just gonna say that joy will ebb and flow in your life. Um, do you know what an oxymoron is, right? You know what an oxymoron is, right? It's this word irony where you put two words together that don't belong together. Words like partially complete. Did you get your homework done, Maddie? Yes, it's partially complete. What? That's, so it's not done? <laughs> partially complete. Jumbo shrimp. Really? That's a thing? Let me tell you, Matthew, I've got this great investment. It's a sure bet. <laughs> a sure bet, right? No, it's not a sure bet. This irony. Um, for some people in some places, short sermon, right? Also, oxymoron. Dave Stone says this. He says, joyless Christian is another oxymoron. It's another oxymoron. Joyless Christian. When I was in college, my junior year, I lived in the old dormitory, McManus Hall. It had not been renovated at all. So it was a 100-year-old building. It had 100-year-old bathrooms, 100-year-old tile, but they had updated and put in a security and uh, alarm, fire alarm system. I don't know if there were squirrels in the attic or what, but our, that year, our fire alarm went off randomly all the time. In the afternoon, in the morning, in the evening, at dinner, at breakfast, in the middle of the night. Now, here's what you need to know about where I went to school. It was outside of Chicago. And Chicago winters are not like Kentucky winters. Okay, so in January, about 3.30 in the morning, and, you, and the RAs pushed us at like, out, 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 everybody out of the building because we got in trouble, fire department, with people not leaving. And the fire department had to come every single time the alarm went off. They didn't have the option not to come. 
So it's 3.30 in the morning, and there's a foot of snow, and it's 15 degrees, and you have guys that are wearing boxer shorts and a t-shirt, and that's it. You have guys just in boxer shorts, and that's it, standing in the snow, waiting for the Wheaton Fire Department to roll up. Now, as they pulled up, we, as a twist of irony and an attempt to cultivate joy in our lives, would sing and serenade them a song that we had learned from the Billy Graham evangelistic team called Count It All Joy. So we would be in full harmony, count it all joy, count it all joy in the men's chorus people. And so I'm convinced to this day that when they went back to the firehouse, part of the conversations they were having is, you know, Wheaton says they can't drink, but I'm pretty sure those students, (laughs) I'm pretty sure those students were plastered. I mean, no one sings like that at 3.30 in the morning in the snow in bare feet. Okay, so that's kind of a funny way to look at it, but this is a real thing. I don't know if you've ever heard of this person, but I actually got introduced to her at Wheaton. Her name's Johnny Erickson Tata, and she was born in 1949. She's going to turn 70 this year. But at age 17, she was diving into the Chesapeake Bay, and she misjudged the depth of the water. And it crushed her third and fourth vertebrae, and basically she, she's a quadriplegic, which means that she, she can't move anything from the shoulders down. So uh, she tells about um, doing a conference in the town where she lived in for women at this church. So it's a bigger church, and, and, and she had done the morning session, and they had a break, and so I don't know how this works because I'm a man, but apparently in woman world, everybody goes to the bathroom together and it's a social thing and it's a together thing. And so they're all in the bathroom, okay? And they're talking and as one lady is finishing up her lipstick and putting it away, she says to Johnny, you know, I couldn't do what you do. I couldn't have joy the way you have joy. I just couldn't do it if I were in a wheelchair like that. And, and Johnny says, I, I, I just, I swallowed and I waited for a moment and I said to the lady, you know what? You can't and I can't either. Only God can do that in you if you're choosing it. And she said, let me tell you about my morning to come to this thing for you today. At six o'clock, my husband rolled out of bed and left for work. And I waited in bed for an hour for my friend to show up who helps me to get ready. And I hear her come in the house and I hear her making coffee. And this is what I was saying to God. God, I can't do this another day. I don't have it in me to do this routine one more day. I just don't. It's not in me. It's not there. You got to help me. You got to, you got to give me the power that I need because I can't. And here I am, right? And so I've been blessed and privileged to know people like Johnny in my life, my grandma Vanderpool with her arthritis, Uh, my wife's pastor from back home who also couldn't move anything from the neck down, Um, and my friend Jim who debilitated by pain to the point where he needed a morphine pump, and yet each and every one of them had joy. They had joy. You could tell it. You could smell it. You could feel it. You could sense it. So, I just want to say to you today, I want you to choose, right? Today's an opportunity. Tomorrow's an opportunity. I want you to choose to cultivate joy because I think you're going to like the life you have a lot better. 